If you go somewhere with Joachim Noah, bring lots of Advil. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today we're going to be looking at the Minnesota Timberwolves and their 2018-19 season in review. Michael Bolton, he is pumped. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. Let's look at this Minnesota Timberwolves team, which of course had the deal with the uh, the general soreness bullshit at the beginning of the season. Jimmy Butler request, re- requesting a trade, Tom Thibodeau refusing to do that, hijacking the entire organization and their season after they had a breakthrough last year of uh, making the playoffs. Things were never going to go well this year. They didn't go well. They finished with a 36 and 46 record. Thibodeau was fired after a 19 and 21 start. Ryan Saunders came in. He ended with 17 and 25 as his record. Record, then not better than Thibodeau, in fact, worse than Thibodeau. Um, I don't think that's any sort of an issue there with Saunders. They brought bring him back for next season, brought in uh, Rosas from Houston to be the, uh, the the general manager, or was it? So is he the general manager of the basketball, president of basketball operations? Regardless, he is the key decision maker there in Minnesota with Scott Layden still around. I think it's uh, fair enough to give Saunders a, an extra chance for next season. Nothing that he did made me think that he's an excellent hire, or but nothing that he did makes me think that's a shit-ass decision. Because I thought some of his decision-making and the way he did change some things around was uh, at least a step up from Thibodeau and his uh, not nonsense ways of grinding players into dust, his poor defensive stuff that hasn't adapted and uh, just poor optimization of the talent around him. The team finished with the 14th best pace in the NBA, which is much higher than what they had done under Thibodeau in the past. 11th in offense and 24th in defense. It is hard to have a good defense when your defensive personnel is absolutely non-existent. uh, And that's part of the downfall of Thibodeau's regime as well there. You're coming in with the uh, the idea of him being this excellent uh, defensive coach, and then obviously not being able to do it is uh, is is a downside to what he was uh, able to do during his time there. Let's look at a couple of other things about this team. Go through a few of their numbers. Um, they they were sixth in terms of grabbing offensive rebounds, but they still took too many two pointers. Third in the NBA in two point attempts, twenty six in three point attempts. Now, when guys like Derek Rose, guys like Andrew Wiggins, Taj Gibson, these guys aren't good three-point shooters or high-volume three-point shooters. There is a reason for that, but their overall three-point percentage wasn't terrible, 19th in the NBA, but you do have guys that can shoot the three-ball. Carl Anthony Towns needed to take more threes, and he did that once once Saunders was installed, I've been quite critical of the way Thibodeau has handled uh, Towns offensively, but that's no longer a concern. And we saw uh, Towns really flourish, A, after Butler was traded, and B, after Saunders was installed as a coach. And I think we can see more improvement from him heading into this uh, this upcoming season. They need to take more threes. They were quite good at handling the ball. Fourth in the NBA in turnovers. Uh, fourth in terms of you know, fewest amount of turnovers. So they, they took care of the ball there. They generated quite a few steals off their opponents as well. So that's a positive. In that sense, rebounding, they were a pretty strong team in, in that area. So there were a few positive things. It's just defensively. Letting their opponents shoot a ton against them. 54% effective field goal percentage is not great. And they've got to shoot better themselves, 51%. That's a big difference. 51 offensively with your effective field goal percentage in shooting, 54 against. That is the difference between being a good team and a bad team. And obviously, this team was not a, not a good team. They they 
were right on their expected win-loss total for the season. Let's have a look at what's coming up for them in the draft. They have the 10th pick at this point. That, of course, could change depending on the results of the lottery, which by the time you listen to this, the lottery results may have come out. They have a 3% chance at the number one pick, a 13.9% chance of jumping into that top four in the lottery. They have a second round pick, not their own. Their second round pick has gone to the Sacramento Kings. That's number 40, but they do have a second round pick back from the Miami Heat, number 43. So not too different there. So at this point, they're looking at pick 10 and pick 43 in the NBA draft. We have a look at their cap space situation. While they are in trouble, they can't get really any cap space heading into this offseason without trades. And that's even with renouncing all the guys that are free agents. They have $108.7 million of guaranteed salary on the books for next year. There is uh, Taj Gibson's $18 million cap hold. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent. You've got Jared Bayless as an unrestricted free agent. Anthony Tolliver's an unrestricted free agent. And both Derek Rose and Luol Deng are unrestricted free agents as well. I would imagine that Gibson won't be coming back. I don't think Derek Rose is coming back. I'm pretty sure that Luol Deng won't be coming back. I think Anthony Tolliver is a chance to return. Uh, Jared Bayless, uh, that cap hold is obviously ridiculous. So he's being renounced. So they lose any bird rights on him. He came across in the Butler trade, but that's not a big deal. He was okay at the end of the year, but not necessarily a high priority guy. In terms of restricted free agent, there's Tyus Jones, who has a $7.3 million cap hold, and Mitch Creek, who are they signed at the end of the season. Creek, I don't really think is an NBA caliber player, sorry. Sorry, Mitch. Um, but yeah, he, he's going to bounce around and get a few 10 days next season, but not a high priority guy. Tyus Jones is the interesting one, especially if Derek Rose moves on. You've got Jeff Teague, who's taken his, his $19 million. Uh, he's got a $19 million contract for this season, so he's still going to be around. Jones as a restricted guy. Will someone look to bring him in as a, uh, as a, cal- a starting caliber point guard? Could the Phoenix Suns be looking at Tyus Jones? I thought he did pretty well at the end of the season. I've been high on Jones for a while. I think there's probably a less than 50% chance that he is uh, that he is back in Minnesota, and that's going to open up some minutes there for another point guard on this squad to come in and challenger and challenge Teague. But I think Jones has a real chance to be a top 150 guy, even if he remains in Minnesota, given Teague's extensive injury history, ankle problems, and the fact that Jones outplayed him for big stretches of this season. You've also got Cam Reynolds, who signed late in the year, has a, a non-guaranteed deal for this upcoming season. He is uh, not not a great option. He had a few moments at the end of the season, but then did drop off after after the initial surge that he had. So that's what their offseason looks like. There's going to be some changes, but in terms of bringing in names, they just don't have the cap space. So you, you'd expect them to be losing rows and Gibson this season, maybe Tyus Jones, and their their assets or their ability to replace those guys is going to be tough. It, it hurts when you've got both Towns and Wiggins taking up $54 million of the cap space, adding in Teague's $19 million, and that's 73 gone already. Gorgie Jenks, $16 million, and then we're at $89 million gone with just five players. Uh, luckily, they've got Robert Covington there on a uh, on a solid contract who missed you know, the, the end of the season, so I guess not all is, is lost in that regard, but it is going to make it harder for them to improve for this upcoming season, they're going to hope that they get that uh, draft pick to jump back up and give them a little bit more value. If you don't want to miss any episodes of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, make sure you are subscribing. And the best way to do that is downloading the new Himalaya Podcast app. So download that app and subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. All right, let's look at these players in more detail. Carl Anthony Towns, a lot of people looking at Townsy as being an option for the number one pick heading into this season. Uh, he didn't quite live up to that area. Number six overall, he ended this year. He was uh, really plagued by a poor start to the year. Uh, Thibodeau was dicking him around. He was uh, he was not playing well himself, the Jimmy Butler situation. And again, I put so much of the blame there on Thibodeau for not 
realizing the the negative effect that Butler was having in that relationship and the guy that you needed to be building around here was Towns. Um, but he started to thrive at the end when they started using him more. He was able to take more threes and his efficiency is absolutely elite. And over the last three months of the season, he was the number two ranked player in fantasy. He saw his usage spike to 33% in that time. We saw him start to take a few more threes. We got the ball in his hands a little bit more. And his efficiency, which was down at the beginning of the year, started to jump back up. And over those final 21 games of the year, 28 points, 13 rebounds, over two threes with four assists, and 1.2 blocks on 54 and 81. The thing keeping him from being... Like he, and he would almost be a clear-cut number one guy if he could average two blocks per game. There were times during the season where he was flirting with that. He averaged 1.7 as a rookie, but he looks like he's going to be a 1.5 type of a blocks guy. And this year he averaged 1.6 blocks, which was a big improvement from the 1.4 from last season. But getting to that two level might be a little bit tough. Now he did miss the last two games of this season and he missed the first games of his NBA career this year. Two games due to a concussion, uh, suffered during a car accident, then hurt his knee and it looked like he was going to be out for a long period of time. Ended up only missing one game to end with just 77 games played, which is still a really high amount, but it does go to show that people aren't invincible. And even the players that play 82 games through their first three NBA seasons are not guaranteed to play 82 games moving forward. And you can say, well, it was a freak accident on his knee. It was a car accident that caused him to miss time. That is literally my point, that anything can happen to anybody at any time. That car accident could have been way more serious. The knee injury could have been way more serious as well. And then we're talking about a guy missing four or five weeks. So banking on guys to consistently play 80-plus games, it's not a realistic strategy. And we saw that, again, minimally, but we did see it start to play out here. And another another guy that used to play 82 games every every season was his teammate, Andrew Wiggins, who has been hurt each of the last two years. Only 73 games this year, you know, similar numbers last year. It just does happen to these guys. But Towns is going to be in that discussion along with Harden, along with Davis, along with Giannis. And maybe you could throw Kevin Dur- Kevin Durant in there, depending if he leaves the Warriors. And then Nikola Jokic, that seems like a fairly solid top six. Maybe you put Kawhi in that mix. Maybe Steph goes into that mix if uh, if KD leaves as well. So they're going to be really locked into that area. And uh, if you're expecting Towns to continue what he did in the second half of the season with a more modern offense and modern coach, uh, I don't think that's completely unrealistic to expect Towns to be able to pull that off. Clearly led this team in PIPM plus 3.03, led the team easily in wins added as well, over eight there, a plus 4.9 on off. Clearly the team's best player put up good numbers. We still need to see more from him defensively, but I thought he took some steps forward there. And if that can translate into, again, more blocks uh, while keeping those other numbers up, then we are looking at a, a top one, top two sort of a player. The next guy we talk about, the 26th ranked player overall this season was Bob Covington. Now, he only played 35 games after he suffered a bone bruise arriving in Minnesota. 34 minutes a game, 13, five and a half, with two and a half threes, over two steals, and 1.3 blocks. One of only four blokes to average a triple one this season. The shooting is always going to be a worry. 43% from the field for Covington. 76 from the line and 38% from three. The three, the fact that he's shooting threes at such a high volume and at a good rate is, is impressive, but he's always going to be an up and down percentage sort of a player. But this is, well, this was his best season from a fantasy point of view, getting himself the highest steal rate of his career, highest block rate of his career, highest field goal percentage of his career. It could have been even better. This is a guy who shot 82, 79, 82, and 85 from the line each of the last four years and inexplicably dropped down to 76. You bump that back up to being at 85, 84, sort of a a free throw shooter, then he goes probably into the top 20. Now, I would never take him inside the top 20 in a fantasy draft. 
despite being the 24th ranked player overall per game this season. I would never take him in that area. He's still going to be probably a fourth round sort of a guy, but I feel pretty good about what he's going to be able to do as we move forward. That, yeah, he's like what people think Trevor Ariza still is, a guy that can hit threes and get steals, but he also gets blocks as well. He rebounds pretty solidly, although those numbers have dipped each of the last two seasons in his rebound numbers. But Covington, second on this team in PIPM, massively good defender, plus 2.71 defensive PIPM. In the limited time that he played, only 760 minutes in Minnesota, you know, ended up being second in this team in wins added, just showing how impactful he can be. A plus 6.1 on off. I think people are going to really uh, be down on him because of the bone bruise injury that cost him so many games this season. And I reckon you might be able to, you might even be able to snag him in the fifth or sixth round, which to me is going to end up being a, a massive, massive steal for Bob Covington. The next guy on the list is Jeff Teague. My name is Jeff. The only other Minnesota Timberwolves player to crack the top 100 this season. He ended up playing uh, 30 minutes a game only in his 42 games. Multiple ankle injuries. He had a surgery at the end of the year. 12 points, only 0.83s. That's really disappointing. Two and a half rebounds is poor. The eight assists is great. One steal, 42-81. Yeah, some solid enough percentages. Nothing great there. But to see those assist numbers rise after the absence of Jimmy Butler is something that we we should have predicted, but I didn't expect it to get to this level. The fact that he played three fewer minutes per game as well is not an expected thing. But again, if I see Tyus Jones return to this team, I can see Teague playing 29, 30 minutes a night because he just isn't the same guy that he has been in the past. He is suffering a little bit of a drop-off. PIPM still a positive, 0.54. Ended up third in the team in, in wins added. Actually, I rephrase that. He just pipped Robert Covington and wins out at 2.39 versus 2.38. He also, of course, played 500 extra minutes uh, versus uh, versus what uh, Covington did. He was a plus 2.7 on court. So I think we might be going a little bit far on, uh, or maybe I'm going a little bit far on the, the downside of Teague's career, but he is 31 years of age. He did suffer a lot of injuries this season. He's played uh, 42 and 70 games each of the last two seasons. And while I talk about injuries and patterns of that being hard to predict, as a guy gets older, if they start consistently missing time, that becomes harder to recover from. Guys don't generally become more durable when they hit 31, 32, 33. So that becomes a little bit of a concern, especially when it's a recurring problem like Teague's ankle and knees have been over over the journey throughout his NBA career. So there is a, a little element of concern there. And if he did lose a starting spot this season in Minnesota, I wouldn't be 100% surprised. I don't think it's likely, but I reckon there is a chance that Teague could lose uh, could lose his starting job, especially if Tyus Jones does return. Just 33% on threes on only 2.5 attempts per game is piss poor. That is fewer three-point attempts and a lower percentage than Derrick Rose, and he needs to take more threes than that, Teague. He is a better shooter than that. 37 last year, 36 the year before, 40% the year before that. So he's gone down to almost a career low in attempts and uh, and percentage, at least in recent times as well. So yeah, not, not a great sign in terms of where his career is headed. But I reckon we might see a little bit of a bounce back from uh, from Jeff Teague heading into this next season. The next player we look at is Derek Rose, who ended the season um, with another injury. No surprise there with Rose. An elbow injury cost him the year, just 51 games and 27 minutes per game. His free agency is going to be interesting to see who's willing to pay him any money. I think he is better suited to be a backup, and I think the 27 minutes a game he played this season is too high. He still ended up, despite the the comeback story and the 50-point game, he was a negative PIPM guy. Uh, On-off stuff. 
He was a plus 3.2, and there's no denying, and as much as I dislike this guy as a player and think he's a... Sorry, dislike this guy as, as a person, and I think he's significantly overrated uh, as a player, uh, he took massive, massive improvements this season, which is a huge testament to how hard he works and what he's able to do at his age, being able to take these big steps forward. It's huge, but we also can't deny that he, he literally... Everything, there's always injuries. Ankle problems this year, elbow problems this year. And I think we're looking at him as not as a 27-minute-a-night guy. They're probably down to a 24, maybe 23-minute-a-game player. He averaged 18 points per game this year, which is fantastic off the bench. 28% usage is obviously really high. Four assists. The problem with Rose is we get low rebounds, low threes, low steals, low blocks. Although the threes were the highest he's had since the 14-15 season in uh, in Chicago and hit them at 37% after being under 30% for three consecutive seasons. He did drop off with the three-point shooting. In fact, over his last 11 games, he shot 7% from three. So he was going at like 48 47%, which I couldn't bang on about enough to tell you that wasn't going to stick. So I reckon that 37% shooting is, is not something we should be banking on or relying upon for him to do. As I said, his four previous seasons, not not three, four, 28, 29, 22, 23% from three. That is horrible. And then to finish his last 11 games of the year, shooting 7%, um, it it appears maybe those first 40 games of the season is the outlier and the other surrounding 170 games is more realistic expectation. The the low steals, the low blocks, it always keeps him from being a good fantasy player. 106th overall this season. I don't think we see him getting back to that area. Try and find the Derek Rose fan in your league if you've got him in a dynasty league and try and get some sort of top 150 value back. So I just don't see him playing the level of minutes, being able to take that many shots and being that good of a three-point shooter again, unfortunately. Taj Gibson started a lot of the season for the Minnesota Timberwolves, moved to the bench at the end, which was the right call. He is 34 years of age, an unrestricted free agent, 24 minutes a game, 11 and six and a half with uh, 0.7 steals and 0.5 blocks. His best category is his field goal percentage, shot 57% there. But as the minutes start to go down and the usage starts to drop as well, then that's not going to be as impactful. He doesn't have any rim protecting really ability at this stage. 145th overall player. His field goal percentage the last two years has been sky high. Previously, his high had been 53%. He's been at 58 and 57 each of the last two seasons and also had the best two free throw shooting seasons of his career. So testament to him for for working on that shooting numbers and being better there than he'd really ever been in the past. Um, It helps that he shot 45% on his long twos and 42% overall on mid-range twos. That's numbers where you look at and go, I reckon there's a a pretty big risk of that being able to to drop back down. And if it costs him four or five percentage points in his field goal percentage, and he drops to maybe outside the top 200. I don't think any team signing Taj Gibson to be a starter. The 24 minutes a game he played this season probably won't stick. And I do like Taj quite a bit, but he was nowhere near the same player this season as he's been in the past. Negative offensively and defensively, PIPM, um, negative 0.51 overall, and a a neutral on-off, 0.3, which is okay, but I think we're going to see the downside here. Speaking of downside, Andrew Wiggins, another shitful season, and I think we have to give up on him as ever being a good fantasy player. 35 minutes a game, 73 games, 18 points. That all starts really positively. That's a great start, having 18 points. Fantastic. Great. 35 minutes? Yes. The other numbers are going to come. Unfortunately, they don't come. 1.6 triples is is not good enough. 4.8 rebounds is an improvement for what he has done at, at times in the past. 
In fact, it's a career high for rebounds. The 2.5 assists is also a career high, but it still isn't enough. The 0.7 blocks, a career high as well. But putting all these things and putting these career high numbers with their rebounding assists and blocks and steals one per game, which is exactly the number he's been at every season his his career, like that's their gradual improvements, and that deserves mentioning. A career high in three-pointers, mate. But doing it while also regressing so badly in your shooting, under 34% from three, 44% from two, which is by far a career worst, under 70% from the free throw line for the second consecutive year. This is how weird it is. His first three years, 76, 76, 76 from the line, then 64 and 69. Like why, what has caused him to have this sudden drop down in free throw percentage? It doesn't make a ton of sense there. He's never going to be putting up bulk numbers in those other categories, but the fact that he's able to improve marginally, but improve rebounds, assists, blocks, and threes. If you could just get those field goal percentage back up, get him to shoot 46%, get him to shoot 76%, then he would be a top 100 player. But I think we just have to give up on Wiggins ever being an impactful guy. You had terrible defensive metrics, terrible PIPM, negative 1.66, a negative on-off guy for a guy playing that many minutes. And that many minutes alongside someone like Carl Anthony Towns is a huge red flag flag for Wiggins. I don't think we should ever be expecting him to be a top 50 guy. He's never been a top 80 guy in fantasy. I could see him having one top 80 season as we move forward, but I think the realistic expectation is for him is you look at him as a late-round pick. And hope that, you know, you look at those other numbers and you go, well, I don't know if much is going to change there, but can the percentages increase? Because if they increase, they influence other areas. Field goal percentage and free throw percentage both influence each other. Like they influence, field goal percentage influences field goal percentage, obviously, but it influences points and three-pointers. And free throw is the same. Well, not that as an impact three points, but you get those free throws back up, your points go up. So they are multiplier type categories. And that's why when they fall off, they impact your ranking so much. But when they improve, they improve your ranking so much. So an improvement in those categories, rather than going from 4.8 rebounds to 5.2 rebounds, a change in field goal percentage up to a similar level is actually way more impactful. And I think when we look at Wiggins, that is a possibility for him to do that. Another guy who was disappointing was the second son, Dario Saric. Uh, 81 games, 25 minutes a game. It was always going to be hard for him in Philadelphia with the bodies around there for him to uh, redo what he did last season. I thought there was a little bit of luck involved in what he did. And then he came to Minnesota and things got worse. He played behind Taj Gibson until the very end of the season. But even when he played, I didn't think that Sharich was putting up great numbers. 10.5 points, 1.5 threes, 0.6 deals, 0.1 blocks, 44 and 88 with 36% from three. He is just, to me, a really low upside fantasy guy who is playing a limited role and struggled quite a bit this season. He was a negative 0.97 PIPM in Minnesota, struggled with his defensive stuff, still was a positive on court, but wasn't a big positive by any stretch of the imagination. It was a big step back for for Sharich this season. Now, can he take steps forward? Can he take you know, steps forward and get better next year, especially if Taj is gone and they play him 30 minutes a night? Sure. But what area does he actually ever stand out in? Will he ever become a high usage player? I don't think so. Is he ever going to be averaging three assists per game? Probably not. Assists, uh, blocks and steals, I don't think they're ever going to improve. I like Sharich as a player, but it was a massive step backwards from him this season. And he needs to be better than that. And I think his overall fantasy upside is relatively limited. Now, my man, Tyus Jones, 
Uh, it wasn't the greatest season from Tyus. Now, I've been big on him for a while. You're all well aware of that. This was a step back for Jones until the end of the season. 68 games, 23 minutes. He is a restricted free agent, as I mentioned. Averaged 7, 2, and 5 with 1.2 steals on 42 and 84. And, and like Wiggins, one of the big reasons that he took such a step back is the shooting was so far off. 32% from three is piss poor. He was at 35 last year and 36 the year before that. His field goal percentage went from 46 down to 42. But to be fair to him, every other season of his career, he's been a bad field goal percentage guy. So maybe it was the 17-18 season that was the outlier for, for Tyus Jones. A true shooting of under 49% is unforgivable. He doesn't get to the line. But what he does do and what he did do this season will show us an ability to get steals. And this is three consecutive... Every year in his career, he's been at at least 1.9 steals per 36 minutes and got to 1.9 again this season. But he got his he got his assists up to a career-high rate. In fact, over the last 25 games, he was at 8.2 assists per 36. And a lot of that time in 28 minutes a game was when he was starting and taking over from Teague. Showed an ability to distribute. In those 25 games, he in the 23 games that he started, he averaged 11, 2.5, and 7.5 in 32 minutes with 1.4 steals. Deals, and that's enough to be a late round flyer type of a guy. Can he ever be a high usage player? Only 14% usage this season. That's a little bit of a concern, but he's going to provide the value in the assist in high volume, steals in pretty high volume, but he needs to hit those threes. He needs to take those threes to take that step up to becoming a consistent top 80 sort of a player. He would be a cautious target for me if I'm looking at guys to take a break, a breakthrough season next year in uh, in restricted free agency, whether it is in Minnesota that he returns or it's another team that, that takes him on. He was a negative 0.19 PIPM this year, which again was worse than, than Jeff Teague, but still contributed in the wins added metric, mainly because of what he did at the end of the year. A plus 0.8 on off is a positive number for Jones. He, he's never going to be a star. He's never going to be that guy, but he can be a player that can contributes to winning and helping in those two fantasy categories. And if he gets to the line more, his free throw percentage and free throw shooting is really good. If he can get there four times a game, that becomes a real multiplier for his impact. He just doesn't seem like he's ever going to be that guy to turn that corner. Let's look at Josh Okogie, a rookie who started for nearly the majority of this season. He's only 20 years of age, 24 minutes, 7.5, and 3, and 1.2. He hit a 3. He had 1.2 steals, but the shooting was poor. Yeah, that's, that's to be expected for a guy who wasn't a good shooter in college and is a rookie. 39, 73, 28 for a true shooting of 49%. Uh, over the last 14 games of the season, we saw some minutes go up, 28 minutes a game, 1.7 steals. That's where, really where his bread is butted. He averaged 10 points with uh, one three a game and had a couple of big games uh, in mid-March, a 21-19-10-17-9, 21-point scoring stretch between the 17th of March and the uh, and the 29th of, uh, of March. And then after that, we saw his minutes and his production drop all the way off. His usage went down. His playing time went down at the end of the season. He was still generating steals at a pretty high rate. He can still get blocks at, at a solid enough level. But I worry about the offensive stuff. I worry about the, uh, the, the shooting. He finished third on this team in minutes played, which uh, for a rookie under a partially Tom Thibodeau coach team is fantastic. A, de- a defensive positive is a fantastic thing. An on-off positive is a fantastic thing. And I think yeah, that eventually that he's a guy that they should be looking to replace Andrew Wiggins in the starting lineup if they end up somehow getting off Wiggins' contract. You know, having a Kogi and Covington there is probably a better combination. Of course, then your usage, especially if you've got Jones as a point guard, like where the hell is the usage going? Because a Kogi... Covington, Jones, and then if Sharich is a powerful, none of those guys are high usage players unless you're expecting 40% out of towns. And even then, 
that would be a, a real problem. So maybe that keeps him away. So there is a chance that he actually regresses a little bit this season if the injuries don't strike everyone. If Covington's healthy, where is a Kogi getting these minutes? I think he's more of an investment long-term in terms of yeah, dynasty formats. We expect maybe he can uh, make an ascension over Wiggins in the coming in the coming couple of seasons, and that might be you know, in three or four years' time, and if we get some sort of offensive competence out of him. But it was a really positive start as a rookie for Josh Okogie. Gorgie Jeng, minutes are so limited, but with Taj gone, maybe we can see a little bit more playing time. Six and a half and four, 0.6 steals, 0.5 blocks. He's always been a great efficiency guy, a big man who can get steals, and if somehow he found himself in a situation where he'd play 29 minutes a night, he would be a 12-team league player. I just don't see how that's going to be the case. He's already 29 years of age. Um, he was a negative 0.63 PIPM, still held his own defensively, and he's never really developed that three-point shot that he needs to do. So my hope on him ever really bouncing back is pretty limited at this point. Luol Deng at least showed that he can still perform, but he's not going to be an NBA rotation caliber player moving forward. But I did like what I saw from Kader Bates-Diop, who took Deng's role at the end of the season. 17 minutes a game in 30 games as a rookie. Five and three with 0.6 deals and 0.5 blocks. And those ability, those abilities to get those defensive numbers is what really gets me interested with Bates Diop. 94th percentile in blocks for uh, 94th percentile in blocks for his position, 66th percentile in steals for his position. So there are a couple of really strong things to bank on. Like a Robert Covington, a guy who's getting steals and blocks from the wing can be really important. He finished well at the rim, 92nd percentile there, 72% of the rim, so there's a chance that, that falls off. But he also couldn't hit his threes for shit. So there is some improvement there, just 25% on threes and 64% from the line. With Sharich sort of stalling, with Gibson maybe gone, uh, I think Bates Diop is a guy to, to really pay some attention to who has a pretty solid fantasy profile, a guy that can come in and develop those defensive numbers, uh, de de defensive stats, but he's still got quite a long way to go. And his ability to hit as a player is significantly lower than uh, than a Kogi's, in my opinion. A Anthony Tolliver, big tone. He came in, he banged his threes in. He is 34 years of age. He's just going to come in as a big man's Wayne Ellington, come in and bang threes. And that's really about it. No real long-term value there. And the other guys they tried at the end of the roster. Bayless had his moments, but he is, again, just a, a third string point guard. Cam Reynolds, I don't didn't really see too much out of Reynolds to get me interested in his limited playing time. CJ Williams, Jared Terrell, uh, Isaiah Keenan came in at the end there. Mitch Creek played his one game for the squad. Uh, nothing overly exciting there at the end of the roster. But obviously, we're going to think going to see a discount on Bob Covington next season in drafts. Towns could very easily be the number one or number two player. Uh, Tyus Jones is a bit of a, a question mark. Can a Kogi step forward? And then you've got the, uh, the confounding questions of Rose, Wiggins, and Sharich and how that all plays out. That'll wrap it up for another episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net on Twitter and on Instagram. My Instagram is Locked On Fantasy Basketball as well. And subscribe to this podcast, the Himalaya Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And subscribe YouTube. Hit the thumbs up, leave a notification, ring the bell, leave a comment, all that great stuff. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
Taj Gibson.